on the YouTube, I'm Dave Rubin, and we've got another Friday panel bonanza for you. Today we'll be discussing the importance of living a healthy lifestyle in a time of COVID. And joining me today are host of the Genius Life podcast and author of Genius Foods, Max Lugavere, fitness trainer and health coach, Gina Florio, and professor of medicine at Stanford University and a research associate at the National Bureau of Economic Research, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Welcome to the Rubin Report, everybody. Nice to be here, thank you. Nice Thanks for having me. All right, Doc, I'm gonna start with you because we're hearing a lot suddenly in the last couple of weeks that body mass index and obesity have a lot to do with mortality uh, rates related to COVID. And uh, I heard you on Megyn Kelly's podcast a couple of weeks ago and you were talking a bit about this. Can you, can you kind of fill us in on how important body mass is related to staying healthy right now? Sure. Uh, I mean, it's 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 important for staying healthy just generally, just apart from COVID. Uh, for COVID, it's it's. I mean, the single biggest risk factor is still age. So every six or seven years of age, you're double double your risk of death, conditional on getting COVID. Um, so age is the most important thing. Just to give you some sense of how important body mass index is, if you go from from normal weight to overweight, uh, that's like adding maybe uh, a year. Up to your, so like I'm, I'm 52, that would mean I'd have the same risk as a 53-year-old if I were overweight. And then if going from overweight to obese, that adds about, let's say, five years. Uh, so I'd go from like 52 to 57-year-old risk. Um, and if you if you go to morbidly overeast, that, over, over obese, that's like 10 years of risk, something like that. So it matters. It certainly matters. I mean, but as we said, that's, it matters for so many other things, too. So it's not just COVID. Yeah. Max, since uh, I've had you on a couple times talking about health and you kind of helped me straighten out a little bit of a little bit of my eating habits and the rest of it, um, I'm guessing this doesn't surprise you that that some of this is connected to body mass and weight. No, I mean, obesity uh, and overweight in this country are huge problems. I mean, the, the latest statistics suggest that two thirds of people are either overweight or obese. And, you know, the BMI is a is a is a. Uh, it's a uh, a metric that lo people love to hate on, right? Because it it basically we arrive at it uh, via a simple calculation using your height and weight. Um, and so there's been, at least from my vantage point on social media, this pushback to all of this really, I, what I think is very empowering evidence to show us that by achieving a healthier body composition, we might be, become more resilient, you know, against pathogenic threat. But a lot of people like to argue that the BMI is an imperfect um, unit of measurement. And that's true. That is true because it doesn't incorporate, uh, it doesn't really paint the full picture of your health. But no single marker, no single number that a doctor can measure on any lab does. It doesn't uh, account for lean body mass. So if you love to go to the gym, uh, it's not going to be able to tell you that you have more or less lean body mass. But the truth is that when you zoom out at the population level, the BMI is actually very useful um, because most people are not outliers, right? Most people are of average body composition and average in this country now, unfortunately, uh, is overweight and obese. Right. People love those outlier cases. I remember, yeah. you know, 20 years ago when Shaquille O'Neal was you know, a huge NBA star, huge, no pun intended, but he, I think according to his BMI, he was like morbidly obese, and yet here he was obviously in prime shape running up and down the court. So of course there, there are those outliers. Uh, Gina, you're a fitness instructor. 
what can people be doing right now? Because I've noticed a lot of people, it seems to me that a lot of people basically either got better, got healthier in the last year, or just sort of went off the deep end the other way. There's very little in between. Yeah, that's true. It definitely is one extreme or the other. I mean, it's it's no surprise that we've ended up here. I mean, I think it was even in the 1950s, the National Institutes of Health declared that obesity was a national pandemic in a way, and it was uh, a metabolic disorder of the age, they said. And so now we've arrived at this very unique place where I also think that our culture has prepared us to accept obesity as the norm now. And I think that's something that we definitely need to talk about because if you see what's happening in digital media publications on the cover of magazines, we're now being told that obesity is not only beautiful, But we're actually being told that obesity is healthy. There was a cover of Cosmopolitan where a morbidly obese yoga teacher was doing a yoga pose and the headline was literally, this is healthy with an exclamation point. So I think what we're also seeing is a very interesting uh, moment in American culture where we have been taught that um, it's somehow offensive to even talk about obesity rates and talk about uh, the effects of obesity. So it's, you know, especially as people in the health industry, it's almost a lose-lose for us because nobody wants to hear the statistics because people have been conditioned to believe that it's rude to even bring them up. Yeah, so I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Uh, Dr. J, I'm guessing that you probably struggle with the degree of that, that people are so leery of everything right now, depending on where you get your news and what podcast you listen to. And if you, obviously, if you watch CNN, you're getting very different information than, than Fox, and we're all doing that, that it's becoming hard to trust numbers on top of what Gina's talking about with just this culture war, where suddenly things that, things that we all knew to be true 10 years ago now are just up for debate. I mean, I think, uh, I, there's, there's, the, I, I, I'm really, I really regret that it's a political. It's, I mean, I didn't realize it could become a political issue. COVID's become one, which is just mind-boggling to me. Um, the, and obesity certainly also shouldn't be a political issue. It is absolutely the case that if you are overweight or obese, you you are at higher risk for a whole number of chronic diseases um, and conditions. It's it's healthier to be to to address that. I mean, so I mean that's just a medical fact. I, mean, I guess maybe if I try to think about a, 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 a reason for this, I mean, we don't want to stigmatize disease. We don't want to stigmatize people who have a disease or condition. Um, you want to you want to provide them with with resources and uh, you know I mean you know to, to to address those those kinds of conditions without shaming. I mean I think that maybe that's what the culture is trying to address. But you should be able to do it while still squarely looking at the fact that uh, you know if you're if you gain too much weight, you put yourself at higher risk for for bad medical outcomes. So Max, give us give us some of the foods. I ask you some version of this every time I have you on the show. But for somebody that's watching this right now that maybe put on a couple pounds during this or is not feeling great about their weight, but maybe they don't want to bust all into a, a new fitness routine or whatever, what are some of like the little things that they can do start adjusting to, to be healthier? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest problem with the standard American diet, which is what most of us are hooked on, like an IV drip, is that it is is just, you know, saturated in what are called ultra processed foods, foods that are uh, generally um, their protein content is diluted. So they're minimally satiating, they're dehydrated uh, and they provide no dietary fiber. So those are all those three ingredients right there are what make a food satiating. And unfortunately today, 60% of the calories that we're consuming come from the inverse of that foods that are highly calorie dense and minimally satiating. So the advice that I give people, I mean, we can get into the nitty gritty about low carb, low fat, 
you know, you know, whether or not plant-based is the right diet or a more animal-centric approach, which I believe is the, the more appropriate and biologically sound approach. But ultimately, anybody will benefit from minimizing the consumption of ultra-processed foods and shopping around the perimeter of their supermarket, which is where they'll tend to find the fresh, perishable foods, you know, foods that have single ingredients. Those are the foods that are more likely to fill you up. There was a study performed, uh, I believe it was 2018, at the National Institutes of Health by a well-known obesity researcher named Kevin Hall, who found that when people eat predominantly ultra-processed foods, which is what Americans are eating, they naturally will eat themselves to a calorie surplus of about 500 calories a day. If you do that every single day over the course of a week, that is a pound of weight gain, which can easily push you into the territory of being overweight or obese. So I think if any, if people were to make one single change, it's to look at the food quality, you know, look at the foods that you're eating and make sure that they are of that uh, minimally processed nature. So in the midst of all this, Gina, they also closed the gyms. And I'm here in yeah. LA where my gym is still closed right now, even though Newsom, our governor, is telling us that on April 1st, April Fool's Day, of course, we're gonna start opening up some stadiums <laughs> or something. Uh, but the gyms are still closed. That that must drive you nuts. It does, because it, it hinders people from being able to live a lifestyle that's gonna help them move forward and take care of their health because, you know, there's there are many things that we can do when it comes to to daily lifestyle and diet and exercise. But I mean, the biggest thing for me is just the fact that people are stuck inside their homes and that people are encouraged to not go outside and see the light of day. I mean, I think one of the biggest issues that most Americans face is that they spend on average like six percent of their life outside. We're stuck inside all day from nine to five. We're under the fluorescent lights. We never see the sun. I mean, the sun is our biggest source of energy. It boosts serotonin, it boosts testosterone levels, um, it improves our mood. And there's so many things that being out in the sun does for us. And all of a sudden we're told to stay inside. And when you go outside, cover half of your face. Um, and we need the sun to regulate our, our, our sleep-wake cycle. And uh, the, the quality of sleep that you get also really affects your health and your weight. So it's just, it's frustrating that I see all these people self-isolating and staying at home and not getting outside. And of course, we're going to be more unhappy. We're going to gain more weight and we're going to choose to eat all these ultra processed foods because we're in a bad state mentally and emotionally. Right. So basically <laughs> they, they lock us in our homes and then they tell you, you can't go to restaurants. Okay. You can't go to the gym. So now you're ordering in more food. We know you're going to order yes. Chinese or pizza basically, and then you're not going to work any of it off. Um, Doc, go ahead. For, for COVID, it's, I mean, you need vitamin D. Vitamin D deficiency is a major risk factor for, for poor outcomes for COVID. I mean, so I, I just, it's very, very counterproductive. These lockdowns they aren't really well thought through, um, even for COVID itself. Yeah, Let, wait, let's, go, let's, go, let's go a little further with that, actually. So do you think there was any science behind the lockdowns? Like even when, when they started basically a year ago now, was there any reason to believe that they could possibly work? I mean, I, th I think they're just inhuman, right? You, you, they, you basically, they think they, if you, if you have a uh, rats and you put them in cages apart from each other, they won't infect each other. That, that is essentially the, the sophistication, I think, of this. I mean, and, and the <laughs> models themselves um, have them have these like you know little sims where they, 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 you, you just you make people not interact, and uh, yeah, the disease doesn't spread. Uh, but the problem is everything else about human life. Right, so we have to be in, in in interactions with other. We have to we have to be like being in isolation is psychologically incredibly damaging. Um, 
and we can't do it. We just cannot do it uh, without suffering severe severe consequences. Um, in the early days, we even knew in the early days who's really at risk. It's the old older population, you know, we, and certain certain people with certain chronic diseases. Um, we should have done everything we could to protect them while still trying to maintain normal life. Instead, we panicked everybody. And what ha what's happened is uh, young people, you, know, you all, um, you have a higher risk. You, you think of the COVID as a more risky thing that actually is for you. And so you don't go out. I'm not you all. I mean, obviously, but but like a lot of a lot of young people I've seen, um, whereas older people, they, they they in some sense, they underestimate their risk and they take more risk than they should. Instead of instead of like this good, accurate public health understanding of who's really at risk, if we've given people that tool, they could have managed it, their lives around that, uh, around that risk more appropriately. Instead, we panicked everybody, and we get this unfocused, these these unfocused lockdowns that have caused absolutely devastating harm. Yeah, yeah, I've been, I've, I've likened it in the past to uh, abstinence education versus safe sex education. I've seen other people uh, do the same thing. You know, it, it, from the get go, it should have been harm reduction. You know arming people with the information that they needed to make informed choices, letting people know that if you have comorbidities, you know, the average, there was that study that was published over the summer that found that the average person to die with COVID-19 had 2.6 comorbidities, 2.6 other conditions on average. Um, you know, this, the, the data surrounding age and obesity and all these, you know, other, other figures should have been laid out there for the public so that they could then make their own choices. You know, people who are older stay home, you know, quarantine, do what you must. Uh, but yeah, that to me, uh, Jay, was exactly, I think, um, the difference between safe sex education and abstinence education. The latter, we know, doesn't work. You know, when you when you tell people to just stay uh, abstinent, what do they do? They rebel and, you know, obviously problems ensue. Do you guys think, Jane, I'll start with you. Do you guys think that this has fundamentally changed the way people trust or don't trust the experts, the scientists, our government officials. I'm meeting a lot of people, especially here in Los Angeles, Max, you're here too, where it's like people that were not political at all before this thing began are, are becoming very political because they realize that you have to, in an, in an odd sense, you have to be political if they won't let you go to work. Yeah, I actually noticed that too in my own circles. I find so many more people who are suddenly interested in politics and who are suddenly interested in getting involved because I think what we've been seeing is uh, an incredible frustration and distrust of, of experts, right? So first, Dr. Fauci said, there's no need to wear a mask. You don't need to wear a mask and people fiddle with it. It doesn't really work. You know, he said that. And the next thing you know, he's saying everyone must wear a mask. And the next thing you know, he's saying people need to wear two masks. And we're sort of sitting here asking, okay, hold on a second. So if it, if the safest thing is to wear two masks, why didn't you tell us that from the very beginning? You know, why are you withholding that seemingly important information? And so you now you have a lot of people who um, maybe aren't on either political aisle, but they're suddenly getting frustrated because what these lockdowns have done is ruined many people's lives in a very real way, shut down businesses. Um, it's hard to put food on the table for your children and people have, you know, lost their livelihood and there are real tangible consequences. So people are suddenly getting involved. They're getting upset because I think they're starting to realize and wake up to the fact that these experts, experts, they're getting paid a ton of money to say whatever is most convenient. And so it's mobilized a lot of people, I think,
think, to get involved, which, you know, it could be a blessing and a curse, but at the same time. But I think that it's at, at the end of the day, it's actually really nice to see people sort of wake up and get involved. Yeah. What, what do you think about that, Doc? Just that I think there's just like an exhaustion at this point. I, this is sort of what we were talking about before, but like there's just like this exhaustion of listening to experts because then people look at the tweets from a year ago and it's like, wait a minute, you were telling me to go outside. You were telling me not to wear masks. You were telling me all these things. Now you're saying the reverse. And then people just start tuning out altogether. No, we've earned the distrust of the public. We absolutely have earned it. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, it's just really too bad. Um, Cause you know, the, the, uh, I think that public health and science can play a very, very positive role in giving people tools that information, good information. And it just, we just haven't done a very good job of that this year, this past year. Uh, Gina highlighted some of the contradictions. Um, I mean, I remember the CDC director in the summer said that masks are more effective than vaccines. I couldn't believe it. The CDC mm -hmm. director said that. Um, I, I mean, I think, uh, I, th I think the the, uh, the the lockdowns. I think the, the, a lot of the experts that have made these kinds of comments, um, they they're they're thinking strategically. How can I get you to do what I want you to do, right? How can I enforce these lockdowns? Because they're trying to act against this exhaustion that comes from these inhuman orders, um, and so they're they're just. I mean, and so they end up latching on to things that don't make any sense to anybody. They're not actually scientific. Um, and I, I just, I think it's a, a catastrophic mistake. It's gonna take a long time for public health to regain the trust, if, if it's ever possible, yeah. um, that, that once had. Max, you've been a, a little more outwardly political. You're not like, I don't consider you really a political person in, in a strict sense, but you've been a little more outwardly political on this. And it's like, you know, when I go to Florida, I'm in Florida and people are living their lives and I was at restaurants and they were literally, you know, Florida's an old state in terms of age. There are 90 year old women having drinks at bars, living their lives, <laughs> make, making the choices for themselves. Um, and then yet we're here still in Los Angeles under this situation. Um, you're gonna help me with this recall of Newsom or what? That's where I was going with this. Yeah, I actually, I did fill out the uh, the, re the recall form because I just think the, you know, the draconian orders put in place were, were arbitrary from the start. I mean, I could understand, again, going back to the sort of safe sex harm reduction analogy, you know, I'm a conscientious being, right? So if I'm around somebody who who is who has the potential to be at high risk, if I'm in a, indoors in a public place, um, I'm going to do what I think is logical and reasonable for, for me to do, right? But like the notion that gyms, uh, gyms have been closed for months, right? Which gyms I think should be an essential, essential service. I mean, they're a way to, you know, encourage metabolic health, you know, something that only 12% of the United States population can claim ownership of. Uh, but meanwhile, I've been able to shop in malls this entire time. Yeah. So to me, there's this there's this disconnect. There's a dissonance that, to me, um, feels political. It doesn't feel like it's grounded in science. Um, and so the, the fact that politics have sort of somehow been able to seep in and intervene and play a role here, and you see the statistics about people, you know, on surveys, rates of anxiety, depression are just shooting through the roof. People are comfort eating, you know, leisure time, physical activity is at an all time low. Uh, it's just really disheartening and counterproductive to what we should all be rallying behind, which is keeping people safe. But these efforts actually, see, these mandates seem to be counter to that. And to me, it's very frustrating. So you're right, I've been sort of stepping my foot forward a little bit. Um, and uh, and yeah, I just hope things change soon. It's, it seems like they are, yeah. thankfully. Yeah, Gina, I mean, what about that that mental component to the to the physical workouts? Like everyone knows when you work out, it's not just that your body feels better, you're, you yeah. mentally you feel clearer, happier, all that stuff. 
Yeah, there are just endless benefits to exercising regularly. I mean, down to how you sleep, down to bone density, down to sex drive, um, down to um, you know boosting serotonin and just feeling so much more clear-headed, down to self-confidence. And um, it's it's an immensely important part. It's a fundamental part of health. And you know, even more than just exercise, going to the gym and lifting weights is something that we call non-fitness movement. Just getting ten thousand steps a day, just going out for a walk. Oh, for a walk first thing in the morning for thirty minutes. Um, you know, move around, maybe even like cooking is non-fitness movement, right? Doing these things that just encourage a kind of lifestyle and habits that are going to last you in the long run. And with this, the self-isolation, there's just no way to do that. You know, there's, there's no way to actually engage in these things. You can't even, you know, even going to take a dance class, all of these things that, that contribute to holistic health and, and a really strong mental capacity. We're missing that. And it's no wonder, it's no wonder we're seeing rates of anxiety and depression spike, um, you know, on top of people just not getting outside, never seeing the sun, being totally isolated, not seeing their friends, not being able to do the things they love. And even down to starting new hobbies, you know, those things are so good for our brain and for our mental health. It keeps us engaged. It keeps us excited and, and it helps us move our life forward. And it's just, it's really sad to see people literally sit in their home and deteriorate. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in a state here like California. I mean, I'm a, you know, just to throw my own personal N of one anecdote into the mix, I'm a highly motivated person. You know, I'm really interested in fitness and exercise and I found it very difficult to, you know, to get those 10,000 steps in, as Gina was talking about, non-exercise physical activity, which we know is so important to our health. And there's such a low barrier to entry as well. But just the fact that you can't seemingly do anything, and especially here in California, on the west side where I live, people will actually give you weird looks if you're not wearing a mask out when you're walking outside by yourself, which to me is just completely insane. Now, we've we created this culture of shaming, right? That, that you're, 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 if you had COVID, there's something wrong with you. You, you weren't careful. If you, don't, if you were not wearing a mask, you don't care about other people. Instead of creating a culture of, 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 uh, of you know, affirmation, like trying to, trying to give people tools, mm. good, good, good uh, public health advice, it's, it's really crazy. Um, I, I think, the, uh, I, I think the, the, uh, the psychological damage really can't be overstated. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, like one in four young adults this past June in a CDC survey seriously considered suicide in the United States. Mm-hmm. One in four. That should have ended the lockdown right there. I mean, mm-hmm. just think what we've been do- doing, doing to our young people. It's just, it, it, it's mind-boggling. Of course, the isolation affects young and old alike. But um, I, I actually, you know, the other thing about the lockdowns that's that sort of underappreciated is is how, um, I mean, I think of it as trickle-down epidemiology. It's protected people who can afford to have jobs mm-hmm. that have, have Zoom, it, but it hasn't protected uh, poorer people, you know, working-class people. In, in L.A. County, uh, the, like places like Santa Monica or, or Beverly Hills uh, have one-third the number of COVID deaths per capita than poorer parts of L.A., mm. you know, Compton, um, you know, Watts. One third. I mean, it's it is really one of these things where uh, it's it's protected the rich at the expense of the poor, and I mean, ironically, I think in the ways you all are saying, harm the rich with these this sort of the psychological isolation. It's 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 um, just a catastrophic policy for health. Doc, where are you at with um, excuse me? Where are you at with vaccines now? Because you know, Joe Biden last night basically was saying, you know, that everyone will have at least the opportunity to be vaccinated by May 1st. Again, that's a, a year plus three months past two weeks to flatten the curve. And then he said, if basically everyone behaves, that by July 4th, you can have small gatherings, 
in your backyard, but it's like, people are already doing it. And the more that they keep pushing this, it seems to me, they're just gonna keep saying things and just more and more people are just gonna ignore it. But where where are you generally speaking with, with I, I mean, that, I, th I think the vaccines are actually quite a good thing. I mean, I, I think use, and we've done a pretty good job. First, the, it's it's amazing to me that they were they were developed in such a short time. I mean, I, I, if you asked me at the beginning of the epidemic, would it be possible? I, 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 in fact, I was asked. I don't think it was possible. I didn't think it was possible. Um, I mean, that's a huge scientific advance, and that's. I mean, that's, that should be celebrated. And we've also most states, anyways, have used them correctly to protect the vulnerable, to, to vaccinate older populations. My mom lives in L.A. She finally got the second vaccine uh, a few days ago, and it was a huge relief to me because you know they, it really is quite effective against severe, severe. So I think, and so I think the vaccines, once we have protected the old with them, the the vulnerable. What is the reason to, to to worry so much about cases? Like, let's the, all the collateral damage is so catastrophic. We should stop the collateral damage and resume our normal life immediately. Why wait till July? Uh, we're gonna. I think by the end of this month, we'll have everyone over 65 in the United States have, will be all have been offered a vaccine. At that point, what's the what is the reasoning to stay locked down? Yeah. Do you guys all think that everyone should be vaccinated? I mean, it seems to me that that the push now is not just we're going to vaccinate the older people and the other people at risk, but now it's going to sort of be if you aren't vaccinated and if you don't have a card or something to prove you're vaccinated, either we're not going to let you on a plane or I mean, you can really go down a rabbit hole with this stuff. But Max, what do you think? Should everybody be vaccinated, even the the forty year old healthy person that's taking care of themselves? Uh, and just live yeah, I, th I think a lot of my followers would probably expect me to be just, you know, blatantly anti-vax, but I'm not. I'm actually totally in support of the vaccine for people who are at risk. Um, you know, my somebody in my family who's at risk is going to is going to get the vaccine and I'm fully in support of that. I think people who are at risk should should take it. Um, Am I personally uh, going to be, you know, rushing to to get it? I don't think so, because I don't you know, I know my health pretty well and I know that I'm not at risk, uh, even though I, I do poten potentially run the risk of uh, being exposed to the virus. I think that's just something that we're that's here to stay. Um, but I uh, but I but I, I have to agree with Jay. I think it's a very it's just an incredible feat of human ingenuity that we have it. You know, it's I believe it's the first mRNA vaccine that uh, has been put to market, which is incredibly, you know, beautiful science. And um, and so, yeah, I would you know recommend that anybody who is at risk uh, uh, get it for sure. For me with the yeah. vaccine. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is that it, it's being used as a threat. And that's what I really don't like is that we're now be, we're now being told by by leaders and politicians that if you don't all get this vaccine, we're never going to be able to open again. We're never going to get back to normal. Well, that's that's not what the vaccine should be used for is to threaten people and, 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 and say that we all absolutely must take it. I mean, I'm in the same boat as Max. I personally know that I don't need the vaccine, but I'm. If, if you feel like you need it, if it's your choice to go get it, more power to you. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to say I'm not, you know, the anti-vax person either. But the whole point is that we should all have the choice and we should all have the choice if we want to take it. And if we don't want to take it, that's fine, too. So the, the biggest problem for me is that it's being used as a threat. And that's what really upsets me. And I think that's where we see the biggest problem is that, you know, Biden saying that if you all behave like good little children, I'll let you go have a July 4th uh, barbecue. I'm like, well, no, buddy, that's not the way that it works. Not, <laughs> not in America. No, not if we follow your orders and if we behave in the way that you want us to, then we're allowed to go live our lives the way that you, you are allowing us to. So I think that's the biggest thing for me is that it's being used as a threat.
You're, I completely you're, you're agree with that. Speaking my language. Go ahead, Doc. I mean, I, that, I mean, I think that's really again, it's a public health mistake, right? Can can tell people for whom the vaccine is a really good idea that it's a good idea in a, in a trustworthy way, present them the evidence, and then let them make good choices around that. That's how what good public health does. If this this uh, this, I mean, I just I'll give you one thing. What, uh, we I think something on the order of half the country has already been infected with with COVID. Right. So if you, if you just account for asymptomatic infections and, and just I mean, I've done some calculations about, say, roughly half the country. Uh, why do we have to have everyone vaccinated if half the country's already been infected with covid? Uh, I mean, just it just doesn't make any sense. And actually, it's very again, it's one of these things where it privileges the, uh, the, the rich. Uh, the, it's rel the relatively well off that are more enthusiastic about the vaccine. Uh, vaccine hesitancy is much higher among the poor. Um, and we're going to create a segregate, segregated class of people that, oh, you're not vaccinated, so you can't go into a theater. I mean, that doesn't make it when, in fact, they're probably already immune because they they had some asymptomatic infection. Um, you know, I, so, I, so I, uh, from, I just uh, it just doesn't make any sense. It's bad public health policy. Instead, we should be using the vaccine to protect the vulnerable. And for people who are who are scared about covid again, the vaccine is a fantastic idea. There are classes of people on for whom the vaccine hasn't been tested, like children. It hasn't been tested. And frankly, I'm not going to let my children have it until until it's been tested. Frankly, even then, I might not want it because covid might be better for my kids than the vaccine. Um, for, for, for me, it's I'm going to I'm probably going to get I'm older than you all. So, I, you know, I, I, I'm at a higher risk than you all, um, uh, you know. Yeah. Healthcare workers, you know, frontline workers, I think yeah. you should be able to make that choice and, you know, and, and do a cost uh, risk benefit analysis, you know, like individually. Um, but also, you know, where is the messaging uh, from our officials that, you know, pounding home that like we need to get in we need to get in better shape as a nation? Uh, I mean, that messaging is n is nowhere to be found. Um, it's just, you know, MIA. And uh, I think that's really sad also because vaccines traditionally work less. They're less effective in people who, you know, have comorbidities, who are overweight, who have, you know, chronic low grade inflammation, things like that. So uh, that to me is, is, you know, I'm still disappointed. Where are you know, where is that messaging? So. Yeah, and we're now being told that it's a conspiracy theory to believe that the immune system can do what it's built to do. And that's where it gets me. It's like we're, we're not talking about ways that we can equip ourselves in daily life. And then if we dare to speak about it, if we dare to talk about um, ways to boost our immune system, we're called the conspiracy theorists. Yeah, so I got one more for you. Uh, because everyone knows I try to end all of the shows with, with, with something hopeful. And actually there's been quite a bit of hopefulness here. And we know that these lockdowns are ending even if it's taking a little too long. But I'm curious for all three of you, is there anything in the past year that you're, that you're thinking fundamentally shifted on? Because I'm finding that a lot of people are thinking about things in a new way and thinking, oh, maybe the government can't do everything for me, can't fully keep me safe, all of these things, which I think is, is a net good thing, even though it still feels a little scary right now. I'm curious if you guys had any fundamental shift. Max, I'll start with you. We'll go the other way. Yeah, I mean, to me, it just drives home that, you know, personal accountability isn't something to be underappreciated and that we each need to take steps in our own lives uh, to to procure better health for ourselves and to educate those around us, you know, to be sort of the beacons uh, in our own communities, whether that's in our families, to our friends, on social media, to lead the way. The best way to teach is to lead by example. And so that's personally what I try to do. And I think the tools are out there, you know, compared to prior generations, we, you know, we're, we're more invested in our health. We're more in invested in our, you know, personal development. We, you know, science is 
fairly ubiquitous. You know, everybody has access to scientific publications for the most part, or at least abstracts, or at least, you know, journalistic interpretations of that science. And I think, um, you know, there's no time like the present than to seize the reins of your health and to, you know, whether it's small steps or big steps to, you know, to really like engage with it. Because once it goes, you know, it's something that's, you know, your health is like chronic, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, is what I think. And so, uh, you know, to just close with the uh, John F. Kennedy quote that I really love, you know, the time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining. Um, and I think that if there's anything that, that the past year has shown us, it's that. Yeah. Doc, anything that you shifted on in this past year? Uh, unfortunately, it's not a hopeful thing. I, I, di I did not realize how fragile the consensus around free speech and free expression was, even within science and sci scientific discussion and, and within public health. Uh, I mean, I think one thing that's come very, very clear to me is that it, it is actually quite fragile indeed, the people that speak out against uh, a consensus, even that when the science is loudly pointing in one direction, are, are liable to get pounded down. Um, uh, there's a lot of danger around that in the future of science, scientific discussion, frankly, in the future of a free, free society. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's something that, that, that's not going to end with the lockdown, unfortunately. All right, Gina, now you got to bring us the hopeful ending because that, 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 wasn't the, that wasn't, it was appreciated, but not the hopeful part. Yeah, I don't know if mine's hopeful. I'll be perfectly honest. I mean, the biggest thing for me is just I am so much more aware of government in interference than I've ever been aware before. I mean, I am almost at a point now where I'm asking, why on earth are there seatbelt laws? Why does the government get to decide, get to fine me if I'm wearing a seatbelt in the car that I paid for, using the insurance that I am paying for, why are you making me wear the seatbelt? I mean, it's the same thing with the mask. What what does this have anything to do with the government? So I don't know. That's definitely not hopeful. But I am at a point where it has honestly gotten me to the point where I'm so hyper aware of government interference and the government overreaching and telling us how to live our lives and telling us to do this and that for a reason that I honestly can't wrap my head around. And that's where I'm at too. I mean, I don't, that's definitely not hopeful, well, but it's, it's made of, me so much more aware. You know, it kind of yeah, is hopeful yeah. though. You woke up to liberty in the midst of all of this. And I think a lot of people did. So I, I think that's a perfect uh, place to stop. I'm, I'm gonna continue without you guys for a minute or two, but Dr. J, Max, Gina, I thank you guys. We're gonna link to all your stuff down below and uh, stay safe. And I hope to see you guys in actual real human life one of these days. <laughs> so thank Thanks, thank Dave. Um, by the way, guys, I should mention that uh, Max over there just joined Locals and it's maxlugavir.locals.com. So if you want some advice on eating and brain health and all sorts of good stuff, maxlugavir.locals.com. Uh, you know, guys, I did a Periscope before we started this thing, a little live video streaming on Twitter, which by the way, we are adding that functionality to the Locals app. It is coming soon. We already have live text chat in there, but we're adding live video streaming. But anyway, I did a Periscope a little bit before where I had to, I had to apologize uh, to the people of the world because you know Joe Biden last night was saying you know this thing about May 1st, if everybody's vaccinated and you behave and keep listening to us, even though we keep moving the goalpost, that maybe at that point you can have a couple people in your backyard to celebrate Independence Day, which Independence Day is all about being free from these tyrannical leaders, but maybe we can do it in four months from now, which is about 16 months after two weeks to flatten the curve and that whole thing. But anyway, I was watching that and then, uh, well, we had a dinner party at our house last night 
we had eight people over for dinner. We had chicken and salmon and bok choy and farro, and we served small ice cream sandwiches at the end. And uh, everyone that came over could be dead right now. I have no idea. I haven't heard from anybody today. And uh, look, the point, guys, is that go ahead and live your life, you don't need me to tell you, and you, don't, you actually don't need experts in a way to tell you that. Like, make whatever choices you think are right for you and your family. That's the only way society's gonna get fixed. Like, if it's not obvious to you at this point that the top-down way of looking at pretty much everything, not just the pandemic, but government in general, and all of the institutions and everything, like, that's why I'm enthused right now, you know, like I was a little, I was a little dour earlier in the week about things because you just hear about they're coming for Pepe Le Pew and they're taking out Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato and this movement of destruction, it's here. It's here and it's gonna keep coming. There's no doubt about that. But what we talked about there at the end that people are waking up to what liberty means like and what freedom means and the best thing, the only thing you can do in a way, in the midst of all of this, is just figure out what works for you and the people that you love and the people that you're around in your local community. And I think people are starting to do that. So I am, I am enthused in that way, and that's uh, the feeling that I'm gonna take into the weekend. I've got a couple more meetings today. Uh, do I have any live hits today? I was supposed to be on Ingram tonight, but they, they gave us the boot. Do we have uh, anything else today? I think, I'm on, I think I'm on something a little bit later. I'm on something a little later, they're giving me the... Oh, I'll be on uh, joining Seb Gork on Newsmax a little bit later today. He's guest hosting, perhaps angling for a full primetime slot on the Newsmax. So I'll be joining Seb Gorka, which is a name right out of Star Wars. So that's why I'm doing the show. And I like that guy. He's all right. Anyway, guys, have a good weekend. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your family. Take a walk. Do some exercise. Read a book. Listen to some music. You don't have to wait for the government to tell you it's okay. It's going to be okay. Dave told you. All right. Thanks, everybody. See ya.